This is In the Studio with Michael Card, a weekly visit coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and Michael, we want to get right to the Bible teaching portion of our program today. Actually, this was recorded a couple of years or more ago, wasn't it? Yes, this is uh, Dr. William Lane, who uh, has since gone home to be with the Lord, but we had the privilege of doing a number of shows with him. Actually, he was quite sick while he was teaching mm-hmm. uh, before he uh, he passed away in 1999. I remember him in the studio here. We had to kind of guard his energy time. Did. I mean, we carefully. had to sort of take him home and let yeah. he take a nap and yeah. then come back. So it was a very costly thing for him in terms of his energy, but he was uh, willing and happy to do it for us. And how grateful we are now oh. to have these remaining recordings of him oh, on this yeah. teaching. Oh, yeah. It's called The Cycle of Discipleship. We actually began last week, and that program is archived on the web and CDs are also available if you go to michaelcard.com. So if you happen to miss last week's broadcast, we're going to pick up on part two today, the cycle of discipleship with Dr. Bill Lane. But as we did back when we talked with Dr. Lane, we introduced his teaching with your song called Bearers of the Light. Here once again is Michael Card. The light we must bear is the light we must share is the light that illumines the darkness. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. He will walk beside us, a strong friend Barnabas. He will be that sure shoulder to lean on. The promise we share is our burden to bear, and our light tells the darkness to be gone. The light we must bear is the light we must share is the light that illumines the darkness. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. He will come after me, this young Timothy, looking for someone to guide him. I will kindle his light make him strong for the fight I will promise to be there beside him the light we must bear is the light we must share is the light that illumines the darkness the promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light and so we must claim In his powerful name, the promise the Bible has spoken. We must understand that a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken. The great need of us all, a true mentor, a Paul, who has traveled the road that's before us. He has made good the pledge to take the light on ahead. We can follow his footsteps before us. The light we must bear is the light we must share, is the light that illumines the darkness. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. The promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. Michael, I like the image of bearers of the light, for we have no light within ourselves. Mm. It's only as we've been with Jesus Mm. 
that light begins to thrust out all of the darkness uh, that has been just built up inside every one of us. Mm. And what we saw in the Gospel of Mark last week was that Jesus involved the Twelve with him in an experience of conflict. He involved them at times of teaching. He involved them in an encounter with the demonic. They stood with Jesus in the presence of disease and death, and finally, in the humiliation of personal rejection. It's very interesting that the transition to phase two, where Jesus authorizes them to go forth to speak his word and to do his work, is found in a little verse, a half verse, if you please, Mm -hmm. uh, in verse 6b of chapter 6 of the gospel. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, and I find in there a suggestion There were many other things that Jesus taught the disciples in that itinerant ministry Mm -hmm. as they were with him, moving from village to village, and that becomes the prelude to their being commissioned to speak for Jesus. Just for clarification, we're in the book of Mark. That's the book that uh, Bill just referred to, and it is uh, chapter 6 and verse 6. I want our listeners to be able to open the scriptures if you're in a position to do that and, and take a look at that with us. Michael, would you read for us? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 7, and verse 12 and 13. Sure. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And they went out and preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It was Jesus who initiated the call to be with him. And it's Jesus who initiates the commissioning of the twelve to be sent out two by two with authority that he gives to them to exercise authority over evil spirits. And we read they went out and preached that people should repent. Why? Because that was the message of Jesus Mm -hmm. as he came into Galilee. Repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. Bill, I'm impressed that Jesus knew when the time was right to send them. He wanted them to be with him, and then he knew what the right time was to send them. Absolutely. And yet, we must also appreciate they were fledglings. This is the first time they have been commissioned to represent Jesus. And we read that they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Why? Because those were the ministries of mercy in which Jesus was engaged. It's interesting to me, Bill, that they're sent out two by two. Is there some specific background to that? What's the strategy there? It's clear that there is an advantage when two persons go forth because one person may be gifted in one area and one in another. But that isn't the answer to the question. The real answer is, in the scriptures of the Old Covenant, that is the Old Testament, the law of testimony was that every matter had to be confirmed at the mouth of two Two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And so it's a concern for truth. It's a concern for integrity that uh, stands behind the appointment 
of the going forth of the pairs of disciples. That that is fascinating. Uh, there is strength in in two going together. You can you can draw strength from each other. But that that's a fascinating background to it, Bill. And you get that from a, a full understanding of the Old Testament here when you bring it to the New. Yes, and you see, background is sometimes crucial for understanding a detail. Hmm. You may remember there was a small detail in chapter 3, verse 14, that we never commented on last week. Okay. Jesus called the twelve whom he designated apostles. Now, that word apostle is familiar to us. We speak of the acts of the apostles. And not all of us would have an opportunity to know that behind that important term was a Jewish juridical institution of the first century called the Sheliach. The Sheliach was simply a commissioned agent. Hmm. You would commission someone to act in your name. And the key ruling with regard to the Sheliach was the word of the one who is sent is as authoritative as the word of the one who commissioned him. The closest we would have in our culture, it seems to me, would be a lawyer Mm -hmm. who enters into a court, enters into uh, the bank uh, to draw up a mortgage and uh, to make arrangements for you. And whatever he agrees to, you have agreed to because you authorized him to act on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Now, the disciples were Sheliakim, that is, <laughs> they, they were the commissioned agents of Jesus. Would they have understood that background that you just described to us? They certainly would have. And anyone with a Jewish background to whom Mark was writing would have understood. Okay. But I understand Mark to have written for uh, the Church of Rome, where there were many Gentiles. And I assume, Wayne, there must have been teachers in the congregation that would have helped the Christians of that day to understand this background. Well, again, that, that sheds so much light on, on what he was doing here. You see, Jesus was authorizing them to speak the word that he spoke. It's obvious they had to be with him to know precisely what that word was. He was authorizing them to do the work that he was doing. It's obvious they had to have been with him in a variety of experiences and seen what God was pleased to do through Jesus. They go as his representatives. They are not free agents. The interesting fact about the Sheliak is, if he received a commission and became ill and was unable to fulfill the commission, it simply stopped Hmm. with him. In other words, if I were commissioned to buy a piece of land for you, Wayne, I couldn't, if I became ill, simply say, Michael, Wayne wanted me to buy a piece of land. He gave me these specifications. He's willing to pay so much an acre. Would you please take this commission and carry it forward? No, I am responsible to you because I am your agent and I am absolutely accountable for what I do in your name. So it speaks of a very special and unique relationship that the apostles had with Jesus. Now, this is the way I think we ought to uh, uh, think about this, this phase of the, of the discipleship cycle. 
There was first a school phase. The 12 are with Jesus in a variety of situations. It's followed by an outreach stage. And the beauty of the outreach stage is the disciples don't go in their own strength. They don't go in their own resources. They are the authorized, commissioned agents Mm. of Jesus, and they go empowered with the power of Jesus. Yeah, I just just encircled the phrase, and he gave them authority. That's the language of the Sheliak. He imparts his authority to them. Absolutely. And you see, when I know that I have been authorized by the Lord to speak his word or to do his work, it gives me confidence to enter into situations that are brand new to me, which are unfamiliar, which take me out of my comfort zone, knowing he will participate in the whole transaction to his own glory. Take us then to uh, verses 12 and 13, because here are the results of them acting with the authority that Jesus gave to them. Yes, they do not preach their own message, but they preach that people should repent. They do not do their own work, but they encounter the demonic and they drive out many demons. They anoint many sick people with oil and they are healed because Jesus acts through them and he speaks through them. Bill, is there any evidence that the apostles really understand what's going on here, that they understand the authority that's been given to them and understand the results of that ministry? Yes, we'll find that out, particularly in phase three, when they come back and excitedly tell the Lord all that has transpired. So I have to wait until next week to find out the answer to my question. <laughs> yes, right. I think you do. <laughs> all right. Well, but what I'd like to call attention to is uh, the verses that we uh, neglected to read that are in between verses 8 through 11. Mm -hmm. These instructions that Jesus gave to the 12 were specific to that mission. But what he makes absolutely clear is you will depend entirely upon the provision of God. Let's read those verses, Michael. Uh, These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now, what I hear, Michael, in these verses is that Jesus anticipates that God will provide hospitality for the twelve. He will care for them. At the same time, when they enter a town and a home is open to them, they are not to bring dishonor upon that house when more comfortable quarters are offered mm-hmm. by someone else. Uh, they are to enter into the, into the house. They are to pronounce a blessing upon it. They are to stay there until they leave that town. They aren't beggars going from house to house. No, mm-hmm. not at all. But what I appreciate about the text is that it is entirely realistic. It is realistic in the recognition There will be places where they are not welcomed, where men and women and young people will not listen to them. And in that case, they are to shake 
the dust off their feet when they leave as a testimony against them. This is an interesting uh, account of what I call prophetic realism. Hmm. It actually corresponded to an action uh, that uh, Jewish people engaged in when they left the Holy Land to visit perhaps in Babylon or in Asia or some other place, and then would return to the borders of Israel. They would carefully remove from their feet any dust that had clung to, uh, to the skin, any dust that had clung to their garments. As a witness, they didn't want the pollution of those lands that did not know the Lord God clinging to them. Now, from that actual uh, activity of cleansing themselves or uh, removing the dust of uh, pagan lands from their feet and from their garments, there came an important symbolic action. If I were to stand before you, Wayne, and shake out my garments against you, you would know that I was saying, you are no better than a pagan. In the culture, I would get the message. Absolutely. Yeah, boy, that is fascinating. It was a very powerful action. Uh, it and, was a powerful statement. And that's what it means here, as a testimony against them. Absolutely. In other words, as a severe warning, be careful. You are resisting the very purposes of God. But what I appreciate about the account is Jesus says, God will provide for you. But don't forget, you will also encounter opposition, even as I have encountered opposition. There are no red carpet treatments that are guaranteed. Bill, um, how do we apply this? We're to be living constantly uh, in this cycle. How do we apply what you're teaching us here today? I think, Wayne, we should anticipate that after we have been with Jesus in a variety of situations, it is going to be our privilege to represent him. But we are not to simply speak out of our wisdom. We are not to share our experience apart from uh, the experience that we have found in the presence of the Lord. We are to do his work. We are to speak his word. That's what the world desperately needs. Mike, last week you talked about the fact that sometimes you get stuck in a particular phase of the cycle. Um, is this a, a difficult phase for you? Uh, I think it is. Um, I think it's difficult from the standpoint of discerning when when is Jesus sending you out? When does that uh, commission come? And I think that's uh, that's when it's important to have the brothers who can help you discern, mm. you know, is it time for me to go? You know, is it time for me to go out and do his work and and uh, share, share his word? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a good word, Michael, yeah. about sharing with the brothers, because that's what the sending out two by two is all about. Mm -hmm. It's not that you simply say, I feel the call of God upon my life for music, and I'm going to give myself to that, irregardless of what the community has to say. Mm -hmm. But there ought to be at least one other. There ought to be others who are confirming, yes, the call of God is upon your life for a ministry of music. Mm -hmm. And you are to speak Jesus' word. You are to do 
Jesus' work. So as we think about this call, uh, first of all, to be with Jesus, and then the call to go, perhaps, at least to me, the most fundamental thing is that we don't do that in our power, that the call means that we go in his strength. And that's precisely right, Wayne. Jesus initiates the call to be with him, and if that has not occurred, we are ill-equipped to speak his word and do his work. Mm -hmm. But Jesus also initiates the call to speak his word, to do his work, to go where he is going. And there we are to be his representative. And I think that that gives such a dignity to those engaged in the works of ministry. They can commend themselves as his Sheliak. Mm-hmm. They can commend themselves as his authorized agent. They can speak on his authority. They can act on his authority, not on their own. Which and gives he, us confidence and courage. Well, he says in another place, you know, uh, I, and I think this refers to the disciples when he refers to the least of these, talking about, you know, however you receive them, that's how you receive me. I mean, we do go with that authority as his representatives, so much so that if we're rejected, it's it's not us that are being rejected, it's him. And that's an amazing place to walk. And that word rejected is an important one in the context, for you remember that the immediately preceding paragraph is about Jesus' experience of rejection. Mm -hmm. If they rejected him, they may well reject you. But even as Jesus was graciously received by others, there will always be those who graciously receive those who come in his name. The light we must share is the light we must bear is the light that illumines the darkness. The promise is kept, give us strength to Accept this burden of bearing the light. And so we must claim in his powerful name the promise the Bible has spoken. We must understand that a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken. The light we must bear is the light we must share, is the light that illumines. Is kept, give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. The promise is kept, give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light. And we're back in the present in the studio here with Michael Card. What we've been listening to was recorded uh, three or four years ago with Dr. Bill Lane, who's now home with the Lord. Um, He was the man that you took your questions to, wasn't he, Michael? Yeah, and he was a person who didn't uh, pose as any sort of guru, although he was a brilliant man. Uh, But uh, I I seldom uh, remember him not having a a biblical answer, a good, strong answer to the the questions that I would bring to Mm -hmm. him. 
Well, speaking of questions, we often invite listeners to email Bible questions to you here in the studio, in the studio at michaelcard.com. And when a question is used on the air, we are very pleased to be able to send as a thank you gift a Bible, a new Living Translation version of the Bible, to anyone whose question is used. So here's today's question written to you and to Susan, your wife, uh, apparently after Susan was with us here in the broadcast, perhaps. Dear Michael and Susan, I feel one of the reasons I am stunted in my growth as a Christian is because I stumble over and over my lack of true and genuine thankfulness for what Jesus did for me. It's hard for me to even type that because I think maybe I'm not a Christian. The problem I have is that when people talk about how thankful I should be that he has saved me, I sometimes think, well, gee, I didn't ask to be born. Is it our fault that we were born into sin? I didn't will myself into being, so can God really hold me accountable for sin? Life has been really hard for me, and I try to ask myself if I'm not just tired and badly in need of encouragement, or if it's that I really don't get the gospel like I say I do. Thank you for this forum, because I'm too embarrassed to ask this question at my church. Mm. Well, I think that last statement is uh, is an indication that the 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 person that sent us this email does need some encouragement. Mm. They've got some questions and they don't seem to have any place to go uh, with them uh, but to us. We're thankful that you did come to us, but it's difficult for uh, for Wayne and I who don't know uh, you and, and who don't know your situation to try to unpack it, but I mean, we'll, we'll do the best we can. Um, first of all, uh, are we accountable? Yes, we are accountable. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's appropriate to say, well, I didn't ask to be born, therefore, I'm not uh, responsible or, or to be held accountable for my sin because the Bible tells us we're born into sin. Mm. It's the condition of, of being human, of being born a human being. But the, the question is then, you know, what's to be done with that sin? And the Bible holds a, a record of uh, sacramental solutions, uh, offerings, uh, lambs, rams, uh, drink offerings, burn offerings, all sorts of offerings. We come to the New Testament and we have the perfect offering uh, that uh, cleanses perfectly once and for all our sin, and that's uh, the sacrificial death of Jesus, his blood applied to our our, our lives. And when you say, I, I, I don't know if I really get the gospel, again, I don't know you well enough to know if you get the gospel or not, but that's the gospel. Uh, the burden that you're feeling uh, that's communicated so well in your email uh, is a burden that's been lifted from you. Um, you're, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So um, if you're stumbling over uh, not feeling what you call true and genuine thankfulness, um, I think maybe you are coming under some condemnation from people. Uh, and I think it's time for uh, whoever wrote the letter. We don't know if it was a, a man or a woman because there's no name. But uh, I would encourage you to, to, to focus back again on how you first came to faith, uh, uh, to, to look in a fresh way at the gospel, at the one who did die for you, who loves you so much uh, he'd rather die than live without you, loves you so much he wants to be married to you. And, uh, and it sounds to me in between the lines that you've got maybe a, a tendency to, to look at what other people think. And maybe you're in a situation where your faith is being judged, where you're, you're not under that anymore. It's between you and the Lord. And I, I would pray that this person would find some uh, real genuine flesh and blood encouragers that they could walk with to, uh, to, to sort these things out. I don't know if that's a, an answer. It's more of a direction to go in, I would think. Well, thanks, Michael. We need to pause right here. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And our home on the web is easily found at michaelcard.com. 
We'll be back in the studio with Michael Card after this break here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Thanks for staying with us. This is the second half of the program called In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We're coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. In just a few moments, Michael, we're going to welcome a guest to the studio. John Thomas will be joining us here from South Africa. He has a very important ministry that's reaching out to men and women who are suffering with AIDS in South Africa. That's just devastating the population of that uh, country. We'll talk to John about that important subject here in just a few moments. Earlier, we heard an email from one of our listeners, and that's something we always encourage. It's kind of fun to sort through the emails and read the comments and questions that come in. By the way, in the studio at michaelcard.com. We'd love to hear from more of you. And if you'd like to send along even a prayer request, we'd be happy to to pray for you and to to know about the need that you're facing in the studio at michaelcard.com. Here's a question that's come in. And Michael, it's a rather long note. I'll try to summarize it here a little bit. This listener says, I appreciate your ministry more than I can express to you. I saw you a few months ago in concert and listening to you this evening. I've been praying about a concern that I have, and I wonder if you can add your opinion to my search. Next to the Lord and my family, music is my passion. And when our church started up a contemporary worship group two or three years ago, I felt that the Lord had answered my prayers by providing an outlet for this passion. During practice times, it became worship for me, and the service through music was very spiritually uplifting. But through recent changes, more emphasis is being put on performance, a word that makes me cringe when associated with musical worship in our sanctuary. Beats and rhythms are being stressed. Instructions for coming forward, in other words, staging, I'll paraphrase here, staging the platform and that sort of thing. And the question is from this listener, uh, where do you draw the line between performance and worship? Mm. You you have the note in front of you as well, Mike. Yeah, one of the things that concerns me most about this email is that the, the writer says spontaneous prayer is cautioned against reminding us of the scheduling of the service. Um, you know, again, Wayne, whenever we answer these or try to answer these kinds of emails, we have to stress the fact that we don't know the situation. Sure. We don't know uh, the, the individual that has written this uh, email to us. But uh, that sounds like a very dangerous situation this church is coming into. I mean, to, to, to discourage people uh, in prayer uh, is a direction that you certainly don't want to go in. And it sounds like there's a lot of control that's being mm. uh, put on the uh, the worship team. I think anyone who is caught up in uh, presenting, I'll, I won't use the word performance, <laughs> but anyone who's caught up in presenting music uh, for the church uh, has to watch uh, their motivations. And it sounds like that's what the, the writer is concerned about. What's motivating people? Mm-hmm. Is it just to have a service? Is it to be slick? Is it to uh, just have the beat right and, and, and just have the rhythms right? Or or is it to really worship the living God? And obviously in American Christianity, the worship movement has become a more performance-based uh, thing and, and has gotten away, I think, from a, a purer expression, although God always leaves a remnant. Um, all I can say uh, to, to the writer is, you know, I stand with you in this in this uh, confusion. Uh, uh, the writer said uh, that they were... Uh, given a passion for music. So, you know, I have to conclude that that's, that must be a gift. And they also say they're thinking about leaving the worship team, I guess we'll call it a worship team, over this issue. And that, that creates is, 
problems too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, that's so unfortunate. I mean, if if music is your gift and if if it is your passion, and and, and earlier uh, they said in the email that this had been something that had been very fulfilling for them and it helped them to connect with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I would say, first of all, um, you you, you got to pray about this, and we'll we'll pray about it with you. Uh, second, I would say, you know, search your own heart to see uh, if maybe you might be part of the problem. Um, and I would pray definitely for the leadership of this church because uh, if if this email is accurate, uh, there's some unhealthy control uh, that's being uh, placed on the the worship team. Certainly, the the, uh, the 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 preaching element and the worship element have to be in concert together. Uh, but you know, sometimes so many of the churches we go to, it's either one or the others. The minister of music sort of runs the show, or the pastor runs the show, and and so seldom do we see a really healthy uh, working relationship between the two. And it sounds like perhaps this congregation needs that kind of relationship to happen. I'm not a musician, but I have been involved in planning services, and I I know the tension. I know the line oh, that yeah. you're you're trying to define, and oh, yeah. sometimes it's difficult. It it all comes out in attitude, though, doesn't it? it, it it does so much. Um, I mean, the Bible says that we should play excellently, so we have to strive for the best, certainly. But the issue is a matter of the heart, and only God sees the heart. That's the other uh, difficulty in in in, uh, in being a part of uh, mixed motives. Our motives are always going to be mixed. Uh, it's never going to be perfect. And uh, but God uses our mixed motives. He uses uh, people who. I think sometimes uh, lead worship for the wrong reasons. God will still use those people. Uh, he, he uses me, and I have you know the wrong motives uh, most of the time. And it's not just the person who's leading the worship, so to speak. It's the person who's participating and being led. If yeah. you want to use that terminology in worship, the attitude is just as important. There. It, it certainly is. I mean, it's it's a congre- it's a communal, it's a congregational uh, event. Um, um, Worship is such a difficult thing in the church now. We have been tainted by entertainment. We have been tainted by a performance mentality. And as as a body, uh, I think the American Christian church has a long way to go to recover uh, a pure worship uh, that's, that's not based on... Uh, thinking we have to please God or earn brownie points or uh, God appreciates it any less if we don't get it right or uh, that we have to control meticulously every element or that we have to be so free that there there can be no structure. You know, if the devil can't make you do wrong, he'll make you do right wrong. But as you said earlier, it doesn't take away from being professional and, and striving for excellence in what we're doing. Yeah. Well, let's look at that. Clearly, what are the things we're called to? Clearly, we're called to do what we do excellently. Clearly, uh, we are called to open our hearts uh, before the Lord, which means I think that there has to be room for spontaneity because I can't tell you, you know, where my heart, uh, you know, is going to be at any given moment. And certainly when you multiply that by a couple of hundred people in a congregation, uh, it's not going to get, you know, it's going to get more complex. Uh, But we're called above all to uh, minister. Worship is ministering to God. Uh, I think this whole discussion that we're having right now, I think, shows that in us we have this tendency to be overly focused on ourselves. If worship is for Him, it, then it's all about pleasing Him and uh, uh, offering uh, hearts, li- making ourselves living sacrifices uh, so that, um, you know, the real issue isn't whether the guitar's in tune. The real issue is whether my heart is in tune. And, uh, and if it's not... Uh, to take that heart before the Lord and say, you know, this is yours, this is your deal, I'm yours, and uh, I, I'll give you everything I, I, I can, and I'm acknowledging 
that this is what worship means, that you are worth, worth-ship is what it means, that you are worthy of, of, of me pouring out my heart to you and connecting with you in any way that you can make possible. Well, thanks to the person who sent us the concern. We will be praying about that. And Michael, yes. thanks for your response uh, here. We are going to talk to John Thomas from South Africa in just a moment, but um, let's ask you to sing here in the studio for us, Michael. Uh, poema, right? Poem of your life. Let's ask Michael to sing this now, accompanied by Paul Eckberg on percussion, Steve Mikesell on the bass. Here's Michael. One, two, three, one. song we must sing with our days a poem with meaning more than words can say a painting with colors no rainbow can tell a lyric that rhymes either heaven or hell we are living letters that doubt desecrates we're the notes of the song of the chorus of faith and God shapes every second of our little lives And minds every minute as the universe waits by The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of life Are the rhythm and rhyme, the free verse of the poem of life of your face and open your ear lids to hear the sweet song of each moment that passes and pray to prolong your time in the ball of the dance of your days your canvas of colors of moments ablaze with all that is holy with the joy and the strife with the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life with the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of life Are the rhythm and rhyme, the free verse of the poem of life Michael, I'm looking forward to this segment of our program today. Uh, first of all, to get reacquainted with a friend that I've made uh, several years ago. His name is John Thomas from South Africa. John, welcome in the studio. It's great to be with you again. It's fun to, uh, as you know, Michael, to bounce around the world and bump into people. Now, I've only met John here in this uh, country, never in, on the continent of Africa, though. Well, I was interested when you guys first started meeting. You start started coming up with three or four different times your paths had crossed. That was pretty interesting. Yeah. It really is fun to get to know people from different parts of the world yeah. and uh, 
John, you have such a great ministry. I, the reason I know John is that uh, we first crossed paths because John is a radio person from South Africa, oh. and it opened my eyes to the fact that a ministry uh, that you founded, an FM radio station, CCFM, really is thriving to this day in Cape Town, right, John? It's been an incredible experience, Wayne. You know, 10 years ago, right now, 10 years ago, almost to the month, I didn't even know how to spell the word radio. And <laughs> mm. um, three or four months later, we were thrust into opening the first FM station run by Christians in our country. Mm. And uh, today that has grown into the largest nonprofit in the country. And mm. uh, we're not really interested in reaching the Christian. Mm. We want to reach those that the church can't reach. Mm. And uh, we have a 24-hour what we call prayer friend line, which is a counseling line attached to the station. And by God's grace... We at CCFM see a person a day being led to Christ mm, who's yeah, never wonderful. prayed the prayer, but prayed to receive Christ. We have Muslims coming to know Christ, mm. people, gangsters, drug lords, people who the church cannot and will not reach, but in the privacy of the home, like you who are listening, you mm. turn on the radio or in the car, and you have the opportunity of coming to know the Lord in a personal way. And that's why we're here Isn't that to share the good news that Jesus makes a great difference in your life. Well, we have uh, Christ in common. We have radio in common. But the story here, Michael, I want our listeners to hear is that uh, as much as John believes in the ministry of this radio station and supports it to this day, there is a, a crisis in on the continent of Africa that he just could not turn his back on. That's mm -hmm. what we want to talk to him about today. Yeah, and we're talking about the AIDS AIDS epidemic, AIDS, the AIDS pandemic. Correct. Yeah, I think perhaps the most graphic way of describing it is that in sub-Saharan Africa, the World Trade Center collapses twice a day. Mm. That many people AIDS die. Death. Six thousand people in sub-Saharan Africa dying daily through HIV AIDS. And that is the thing that drove us to say, if the UN has called this the greatest and the most devastating disease mankind has ever faced, well, mm. guess what? It's also the greatest opportunity, therefore, mm. the church has ever had. And uh, we can either look at this as a crisis or an opportunity. And we just saw this incredible opportunity of harvest fields where people are seriously thinking about life after death mm -hmm. and the opportunity to reach out there to them in compassionate ministries and obviously to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. John, do you think the church is too slow in responding? Sadly, I would say the answer is yes, and I think a lot of that is ignorance. Even in our own country, the church is slow in responding, and a lot of that has to do with fear. Um, and I guess some of that fear comes from ignorance. But Well, I think AIDS has moved off of our radar screens in America. It was in the media for some time, and now for, for I think, a lot of different reasons, it's not the focus that it used to be. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, huh? Well, we're sure glad your president has committed $15 billion, and yeah. somehow that is going to make its way in some of it into faith-based organizations mm -hmm. like ourselves because we are very clear about it that primarily – this HIV-AIDS ministry is there to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, give us an overview of what the ministry is doing. All right. First and foremost, I'm actually a pastor of a local church right at the very tip of Africa. If you think of the map of Africa, I'm sort of the last church in Africa. <laughs> and um, we have an area which you would call a sort of a slum of about 20,000 people who live in an area of about a square mile. And in that mm. area... One in four people 
are HIV positive. Wow. Hmm. One in four. And that drove us to start this ministry, which we now, after just two years, employ 23 people. Hmm. 17 of those are in health care. We do all the diagnosis. In other words, we, when people come to us for voluntary testing, we generally say to them, because the tests are generally revealed positivity, we say to them, we're sorry we've got bad news for you, but we want to introduce you as well to the good, good news, news of the Lord Jesus Christ, wow. and we will walk this journey with you. And we do that. Mm. We, we have HIV support groups. We have all sorts of nutrition feeding schemes that uh, increases their life very significantly. We have home-based care in which we, when they're in their more final stages, take care of them in the home or when opportunistic infections come their way because in HIV AIDS you've crashed your immune system mm -hmm. and so they get sick a whole lot easier than any, anybody else. And part of the great challenge is looking after moms because, you see, in Africa the problem is a heterosexual problem, not a homosexual problem. In fact, in the area in which we work, of those who are infected, 70% are women and only 30% are men. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's passed down to the children then too. Uh, help us put a, a, a human face on this. You know so many victims of this. Mm. Uh, and just talk to us in those terms, John. Um, we have a 13-year-old mother who's HIV positive. Um, just a week or two before I came here, got hold of our chaplain, I said, Tommy, about what you've done this past week. And she said a girl came, she was 15, she was tested, she was positive and also pregnant. And they said to her, what about your boyfriend? Uh, so she said, I don't have a boyfriend. And they said, you know, what do you mean? Were you raped? Mm -hmm. So she said, no, my daddy is the father mm. of my baby. Mm -hmm. And for two years there's been an incestuous relationship. My mommy doesn't know about it. And daddy's made me pregnant. Mm. Now, dad's obviously HIV positive. That means her mother's HIV positive. She's 15, pregnant and HIV positive. Her baby probably will be genetically malformed when born. Mm -hmm. But that's the sort of opportunity we have to reach into a girl's life who's angry, hurt, sexually mm. abused. And then her father's put a gun to her head and shot her, literally, with HIV AIDS. Mm. Mm. But then we will deal with another woman in her mid-twenties, and she will never go near a church because she's a witch doctor. Mm. But we diagnosed her status, and then when she was too weak to walk, she called for us. Mm. And we've been able to lead her to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she loves and serves him. She's known him for the last six months, and she's doing great. She's healthy again mm -hmm. just by nutritious feeding. And some of those are the challenges we face and the opportunities. It's real people mm -hmm. with real pain, but the greatest opportunity to reach out to them and tell them about Jesus. I think of two, two incidents in the life of Jesus when the disciples saw the man who'd been blind from birth. Uh, you know, why is this, who sinned, right? And Jesus said, no, this is so the glory of God could be revealed. When he hears word that Lazarus has died and everyone starts to sort of blame, you know, if only you'd been here, Jesus says, no, this is so the glory of God could be revealed. I mean, consistently in the ministry of Jesus, when he saw suffering, it was an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed. And that seems to me is exactly what's happening in Cape Town with this ministry. That's exactly yeah. right. 
And that's what excites us because yeah. <laughs> we're able to let God get a whole lot of glory, snatch people from the fires of hell. Yes, they have messed up. Some are innocent victims. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they've mm-hmm. been irresponsible. John, let's talk about the, the current project. Um, you've given us a glimpse of what the need is. There's, you're, you're working every day to try to meet that need. What's your current challenge? Well, you know, an incredible thing happened to us because of the people who God has lined up who work with us. We have some very serious AIDS researchers and so on. And we got a fo- phone call from the local government, state government and said, we want to come and see you. Mm. And uh, when that happens, you don't quite know what you've done right or wrong. But <laughs> they said to us, we want you to open the first AIDS hospice in the city of Cape Town, and we will pay 100% of your running costs. You employ your own staff. You set the policies. You do everything. They didn't put any faith restrictions on you? No faith restrictions. And we are avowedly evangelistic. Our first objective is to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And they know that. Um, But the crisis is so big that, in fact, they're finding the faith-based organizations are the ones who have sustainability, integrity, uh, community reach. Mm -hmm. And so they've actually moved on and said, let's use them and throw money at them because they'll probably do a better job than anybody else. Well, that's wow. a lot, and it? so we have the opportunity of having our own hospice. But there's one catch. One catch. They wouldn't help us with the building. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really here in the States looking to the Lord for a quarter of a million dollars. Um, we've done some great uh, giving back in South Africa, and the Lord is really enabling us as uh, people here are giving generously to the work of the Lord and to provide what I'd like to call a Samaritan's Inn, mm-hmm. where we can bind up the brokenhearted. And we hope that this will also be a place of chronic care. In other words, when an opportunistic infection comes, we see the mom. Uh, we put her in there with, say, with pneumonia, and three days later she walks out rather than is carried out. And so we believe we will be able to extend the life of HIV victims, but more than that, we will be able to use it as another opportunity for introducing people to our Lord and Savior. Mm. John, one small thing we can do is link our websites. So would you give us uh, your your website there? Sure. It's www dot living hope one word dot co dot za so that's, that's www.livinghope.co.za and if you log on to the michael card website you'll find a link uh, to living hope there and and that that'll hopefully begin a process of connecting up some people wonderful yeah. michael and it's great to be with you in the studio today yeah. we really appreciate it thank you thank you for coming john god bless you
have been listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. Again, to learn more about John's work and ministry at the Living Hope Center, check out the link we've posted at michaelcard.com. And we hope that you'll take a moment right now and let us know how God is using this weekly time together to deepen your walk with Christ. Our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Now, you have no idea how much it means to us when you drop us a note. Here's one that came from a listener to WGNR in Indianapolis. I enjoyed the diversity embodied in the format of the program, and I especially appreciate the depth and genuineness of the content. Many Christian venues are serving up fluffy portions of God light. It's refreshing and encouraging to have a steakhouse in the midst of the cotton candy vendors. Well, we need listeners like you to pray for us as we work to keep this program coming your way each week. Please pass along your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests. Our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Now, to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast and Michael's ministry, come to our website. We're easily found at www.michaelcard.com. We're very excited about our publication called The Community Magazine and From the Study, Michael's new monthly e-journal. Find out about these as well as a new book and CD in the life of Peter titled A Fragile Stone. There are several ways you can listen to this complete program again. You can go to the audio archive on our radio page, or you can find out how to order a CD copy or transcript of this or any studio session at michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.